Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast that is yet to be named. This week, instead of our standard interview with somebody, Tim and I thought we would share with you some of my own personal writing that I've recorded in audio format. The following is an essay I wrote this year. It will be released in a collection of my journal entries here sometime in the future once I get a little more organized. It's called 1,000 Species. I was inspired to write this essay after reading a line in Richard Powers' book, Overstory. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed writing it. The woods have always been an escape. The shadows of trunks, the creak of branches, the swish and smell of leaves, the chittering of life, all coalesced under the solar collection canopy of chlorophyll. Eons ago, two cells merged, then another, then another. The inefficient but vital process of photosynthesis ensued. The basis of all we know comes down to the surface tension of water, the formation of sugars and starches with sunlight as catalyst. The forest stores and exhibits this ancient knowledge and provides two more vital ingredients to our existence, time and space. The roots of the word escape are ex, out, and kappa, meaning cloak from medieval Latin, and a sense to shield or cloak oneself. This feeling I always return to when I enter the entwined canopy, the organic cathedral constructed of individual cathedrals, some towering in glory, others cast down by the elements and gravity, all a vital part of the whole. The web of ecology I learned in school, but it never seemed an apt description, as if the natural world forms a web to be stuck in, caught up by. Mother Nature, a huge spider waiting to devour us. No, for me it has always been a net, intertwined certainly, complex to the utmost, designed to catch, to hold, to stop the fall, the net of ecology. The years have shown me all aspects of trees and their care and use. I have logged to produce materials, felled to remove hazards, limbed and bucked to clean up, drug, piled and stacked to provide habitat. I've climbed and pruned to improve health and aesthetics. If not born to the field of arboriculture, the trees would have drawn me anyways. Had I not been raised in a rural home surrounded by woods, I would have gravitated to the forests, the subtle silence, oxymoronically generated by a thousand different things, all forming this net. However, I know trees and their home on a different level. I have ascended to the ceiling of the cathedral and peered down, the view of birds and clouds. I have cut and manipulated for human and natural goals, sometimes mutually exclusive. I have had the honor of deconstructing swiftly and gracefully that which nature took centuries to erect. I have helped giants lay down for the final time so they too can begin the next stage of their journey. Conversely, I have nurtured and planted, sowed many generations back to the earth to do but a small part in continuing the cycle of life, death, decay, and rebirth. A hero's journey, older than humanity, stouter, bolder than civilization. Today, I walk in the woods, camera in hand, a tool to help me interface, not to see, but a tool to help manage the experience of time. The lens, shutter, and sensor allow me, for just a moment, to experience time as the forest does. I spy a small, boring beetle shifting its way under a loose slab of slowing bark. Electronic viewfinder to my eye, I align and focus. 
I snap the image. The beetle continues unabated, slightly different than my image. I sense the flow of the forest, little and often over the long haul. Not a passing of seconds, but the stacking of moment after moment. The rings of a tree in three dimensions are really cones, one stacked upon the next. The log I study lays still and embedded in the forest floor. Down years, perhaps decades ago, this white oak slowly returns to the earth. As a kid, I helped my dad attach a makeshift basketball net to a red maple alongside our drive. I wanted to play, but my father did not have time for a more formal tree-friendly setup until later, so we agreed on this temporary solution. In my childhood logic, I figured as the tree grew, the basket would rise. I intoned this to my dad. He chuckled, explained that a branch that started 10 feet off the ground would always be 10 feet off the ground. As an event in history, a member of the past, the branch would be part of the whole, but stationary in elevation. It could grow and prosper, even affect the future growth of the tree, but never move its point of attachment up. It would not be for decades I would realize that life mirrors trees in so many ways. Take, for instance, this experiment. You will need a, one container of dirt, one tree. Weigh the dirt, weigh the tree. Plant the tree in said container. Nurture and care for it. After some years, carefully remove the tree. Sift all the dirt from its roots back into the container. Again, weigh the dirt, weigh the tree. The best secrets are hidden close to the surface. The dirt will weigh roughly the same. The tree will weigh much more. Trees pull from around them, collect, morph, change, and grow. We too can become more than the sum of the fertile soil we are planted in, but only with nurture, care, and replenishment. My log lies amidst its brother and sister trees, snuggles up with its cousins the moss and lichens, and a hundred other organisms, plant and animal. It touches and feeds the roots embedded under the duff of the forest as it soaks in the rain and air of the atmosphere. In the slow burn of respiration, the opposite chemical process of photosynthesis that formed it, it is at once alive and dead. This tree, since its first stage in the cycle of life, fruiting, or the formation of the acorn and its parent, has been at once alive and dead. It was formed, germinated, and sprouted both by living and dead entities. The very force that placed that small acorn on the ground so it could rise up was the very force that caused it to fall when it could no longer stand on its own. I'm reminded of a lecture given by Dr. Alex Shigal I attended. The ten or so of us stood around a section of a log, 16 inches in diameter, about three feet tall. Dr. Shigal had balanced it on its end. He discussed heartwood and sapwood, the chemical differences, the possible purposes of both. Never one to totally succumb to the cold analytics of science, Dr. Shigal asked if the heartwood was alive. A few in the crowd answered yes. He then asked if the heartwood was dead. Again, a few answered yes. I noticed that a few had answered yes to both queries. I sensed the game. So I asked not which was the right answer, but the same question originally posed. Is the heartwood alive? Yes, Dr. Shiger responded. It has properties of living tissue. Another student picking up on the game as well asked the second question again. Is the heartwood dead? Yes, came the reply without hesitation. It contains properties of necrotic cells. Back in these woods now, I looked at my log. I poked and I prodded, dugged and revealed. Layers upon layers of death and life, intertwined. Cones stacked upon cones, a net within a net. To catch and then return all that was accumulated. 
This dead tree on the ground, pound for pound, contains more life than its growing, thriving brethren surrounding it, shading it, feeding on it. Trees discovered the secret of legacy long before humanity. The forest is a long line of bequeathal and birthright, heritage and repercussion. A wave of cause and effect as powerful as any tsunami, yet as subtle as the ripple of a dragonfly touching the surface of a pond, only infinitely slower than both. Our lives, too, our relationships, our families, the words and actions of those present, the memories of those past, help feed, form, and sprout us. We exist alone, even thrive to an extent, but to fully rise to our potential, we need our forests, our cohorts. In the forest, there is an answer to an even older question. How shall we live? How shall we love? I recently read a line articulating that there are a thousand species of love, each unique, each whole, in and of itself, yet less without the others. Like grafted tree roots, the quiet, still hand of a friend in ours, the silence of waiting in the presence of another. It is in these simple moments, simple actions, we can, for one tiny ephemeral moment, experience the world as a tree in a forest. It is in this glimpse we come to understand a fraction better the net that holds us up, catches us when needed, and supports us as individuals. Yet, all the while integrates into the inexplicable whole, one cell, one thought, one memory at a time. Like a log on the forest floor or the tree that stands next to it, both are more alike than different, more connected than we can imagine, more dependent than is obvious. Like the rings of a tree, history of sunlight and rain, minerals and elements, we are formed different every second, but also the same through the knots that bind us to form the net. Earth continues rotating on its axis at roughly 1,000 miles an hour as it hurls around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour, unperceptible to the trees and me. I walk back to my truck as the light wanes and shadows creep up from their hiding places. Darkness never falls on a forest. It rises up from within it. Today I turn my lens down to the ground. Tonight I will turn it up to the stars. I will ponder the vastness above as I've pondered the vastness below earlier. I will feel a thousand different things, be pulled in a thousand different ways, with the opportunity to make a thousand different choices. I will list and identify for now a few of the thousand different species of love with the hope that somewhere in between the thousands of thousands of combinations above and below, I will find myself.